0: If I could wave a magic wand, right? The one thing I would do is go out and reach out to all the customers that have some sort of agreement with Microsoft and say, go do this. Go do a health check on your EA portal. Make sure that all of the accounts that have administrative access are real, right? Because I I mentioned I had people that no longer with the company that still have EA accounts. Make sure they're all real and make sure they're sourced to something that's managed by PIM.
1: Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise, and with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the HIP Podcast.
2: My guest today is Alan Brocken. Alan is a hybrid cloud specialist with Microsoft, which makes him perfect to talk about hybrid identity security topics. Well, Alan spends a lot of time with customers around Azure and Azure configurations, and he and I were just chatting before we got started about an area that he sees lots of trouble around, and that has to do with cloud-only accounts. So, ironically, in a a podcast that's about hybrid identity, which is usually about sourcing things in your cloud directory from on premises. This is actually about identities that live in the cloud only particular for first one. This is something that I've seen particularly in my time as a identity consultant, identity architect, which is for an organization's typically a very large organization's enterprise agreement setup, and To do an enterprise agreement, it's sort of a chicken and egg thing. When you set it up, there is no Azure Active Directory. There is no organizational account. So it gets set up with a consumer account, a Hotmail account or an Outlook.com account. And many companies, once they spin up quite large things, they never get around to removing the consumer account that has the subscription administrator rights that controls the whole thing.
0: Yeah, it's, it's quite spectacular sometimes things I've run into. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, and it's the it's the challenge, right? Uh, to your point about kind of the chicken and the egg, which ones comes first. I, I have to have a way to get onboarded, right? I have to have a way to establish an account so that I can create an, ad, a, a, an organizationally tied Azure Active Directory. So there is this bootstrap process that starts with a Microsoft ID that allows you to create the essentially the billing construct necessary to have an Azure Active Directory. And that's, um, you know, there's some technical, you know, first mover things that have to happen to do this. But the the best practice is as soon as you get your Azure AD sync in line, that you then replace that consumer account that was left there um, that, that used to start it, replace that with an actual... Um, account from your organization um, that was sourced from your your on-premises environment. Um, And the main reason for that is your on-prem environment has some level of maturity in um, administrative access, right? I mean, most of my customers these days have a PIM solution of some sort, some privileged identity management solution. And so if they've already got privileged identity lifecycle management of some sort running in AD. Using an AD sourced admin account as the account for this EA portal is ideal because it means that the life cycle of that will be managed. It means the credentials will be managed, and it doesn't leave you in a position where oh, the EA administrator account was actually someone who no longer works for the company, but technically has control of their Live ID. <laughs> so what what have you seen like that? I mean, I, I mentioned I just seen this kind of twice in the last week.
2: Yeah, I've seen I've seen companies where they have multiple uh they have multiple subscriptions with azure multiple azure ad tenants and they're owned by some guy down in development um, because he was the one that thought to spin it up because he wanted to develop an application if if as you say if he's still with the company so
0: <laughs> yeah uh, and, if uh, if there was anything If I if I could like wave a magic wand, right? Like the one thing I would do is is go out and reach out to all the customers that that have some sort of agreement with Microsoft and say, go do this, go do a health check on your EA portal, make sure that all of the accounts that are that have administrative access are uh, real, right? Because I mentioned I had people that no longer with the company that still have EA accounts make sure they're all real and make sure they're sourced to something that's managed by PIM. I mean, go do that now. Um, and in, in many cases, it's kind of like, well, go do some, you may need to do some work to um, kind of corral in all of these sort of credit card accounts that are floating around.
2: Right. Right. <clears throat> exactly. So you heard it here, folks go off and uh, you talk to your, whoever's assigned to enterprise administrator, who's looking after your subscription. And make sure make sure that you have this set up correctly. Is I assume that there's some good documentation on how to do this publicly. Yeah, involved.
0: I mean, if you go look, there there is a, a guide to the EA portal um, administration. If you just look up uh, EA portal administration or mm-hmm. enterprise agreement portal administration, um, there's actually a step by step and some best practices there.
2: Okay. So what about um what we what we IT pros call break glass accounts in in the you know break glass accounts in the cloud we're we're familiar with break glass accounts on premises what about the cloud accounts
0: Well if it's good for on prem this is one of those cases where it's good for the cloud too as far as I'm concerned um, uh, what I've seen in some organizations because there are certain things in in a cloud and and I don't think it matters whose cloud um, while I focus on Azure, I, my understanding is the other clouds have the same kind of concept of there is an account owner. There is a, quote, say, root or administrator, somewhat, some individual that's responsible for every um, you know, cloud subscription out there in one way, shape, or form. Um, and the problem is when you tie that owner to a single human being's account, you're in this position where when that person leaves uh, the company, Do you have all the process and procedure in place to replace all those permissions? And in most cases, that's not correct or not set up or not part of the flow because it's out of band a bit, right? When you think about having 27 different cloud services you're signed up for, are you going to remember or know to go into all 27 and remove that person from that account owner role? Um, or is it better off for that particular kind of Uber root owner role to go ahead and make that a break glass account that's got a clear procedure wrapped around it? Um, I think that doing that forces a certain amount of organizational discipline around the, the privilege identity management of those accounts. Um, and it also lets you kind of get you out of jail, so to speak, when you have people changing roles. Um, but, you know, from your perspective, what, what have you seen that, that was effective?
2: Well, so what you're saying essentially is make sure that these break glass accounts are part of your identity lifecycle management, your regular workflow. So something doesn't fall outside the outside the, the normal boundaries and gets forgotten.
0: Well, that's part of it. But the other side of it is when so a lot of these things going back to the kind of the EA portal example we gave a minute ago and a lot of cases if you because in the cloud world there is a level of um, billing authority that's granted to people. You know, that basically, if, I, if I'm an account owner in Azure or AWS or wherever, I have the ability to go spin turn on services that cost money. Um, where in the old IT world on-prem, you, the, the, the stuff was already paid for, right? If you, you might have been a VMware administrator and you could turn on more compute, but the net of it is the compute already existed. In the case of the cloud, it, you know, every net new service you turn on or user you add costs you more money. So what happens is in a lot of cases is the the business actually puts someone from finance with that account owner role because it's about spending money. Hmm. Those people aren't necessarily trained in cybersecurity and what to do on the other side of that about protecting the resource and aren't necessarily as concerned and cognizant about all of the idiosyncrasies of account. Protections and things like that. So moving those roles over to a break glass account, where it's got a solid security paradigm around it, and it's hard to use those accounts, um, helps protect the organization from just you know someone that's not as familiar with the cybersecurity threats being in charge of that resource.
2: What about um, <clears throat> break glass accounts that are administrative accounts, as in you know service administration type or global administrator? best any best practices that you recommend around how many you should create you know do you take the password and put it in an envelope and tear it in half and <laughs> give it to two different people or
0: so so my favorite one like if if it could work this way generally, my favorite one was um they uh created the great glass account and they used azure a d um m f a uh, multi-factor authentication with a phone call, but that phone call called the security operator called a, the like security operation center hotline. Hmm. So essentially, if you didn't already have a ticket and they knew you were calling in, like you were going to make the authentication, they'd automatically block your your authentication request. And so that way, it was really sort of it was the closest I could see in the sort of cloud world of having a two key system for something. Because you couldn't log in with these, you know, even if you got access to the the password, which was vaulted and the people with the vault access was, you know, an access control list and all of that. You still couldn't actually get into things unless the security operations center hit hit one on the thing because they knew you were calling in.
2: Right. So very much, as you say, to describe it as a two key, two key nuclear option or yeah. a, a separation of duties. Mm-hmm. That's a really clever way of implementing that.
0: Yeah, I I mean, their their reason for doing it that way actually initially boiled down to they didn't have a good way to distribute key fobs or other things. And so they felt it was this kind of thing where they could separate control and let people using their PIM system get the actual, quote, root password. But by having this other completely separate entity in a different physical location actually answering the phone, they felt it gave them, you know, sort of ultra separation and it wasn't hard to implement technically right the technicality was right. put in the ops center phone number and let the people in the ops center know what this is about
2: right right <clears throat> redirect it to the ops center and write a procedure
0: yeah what about
2: um what about cloud accounts or cloud administrative accounts when you when you create them people <clears throat> you can create you know they're very easily created and they typically have as part of their name is a you know an on.onmicrosoft.com account mm-hmm. and that's the end of it you'd mention a c- scenario where someone could run into trouble if they didn't fully build out that administrative account
0: yeah so this is more of an idiosyncrasy to do with the what I'll call the invitation system so if you look at most services these days i can invite someone to administer something right Like I can or I can go send you an invite to get into Dropbox or onedrive or or a SharePoint site just by sending you an email, right? You get the email, it's got the magic link in it, you click it, you get into it. Well, when it comes to things like some, these administrative accounts that there are certain things that are tied to not not just to sort of this magic link, but it's actually the fact that when you interact with the service it's It's looking at the tokens you're providing to prove who you are, and so if the email address that that email was sent to doesn't match the principal name being sent back in the token, it won't actually give you administrative access hmm. and so there are a bunch of systems where you can be like you might see you know there's there there are places in the Microsoft sort of um Azure credit space where if you're applying a credit and the person getting that invitation doesn't match the email address, things don't work. Um, Things like setting up Azure accounts in an enterprise space also has challenges if the the recipient of the email's UPN isn't the same, or basically principal name isn't the same as their email address. Um, And then there there are many of the kind of um, B2B scenarios where if i'm your cloud service provider but you're going to now give me access into your pre-existing environment um if you do that share administrative control kind of thing and the the accounts don't match i have a problem and so i you know my general recommendation is to at least give anything that's the kind of a serious break glass account um give it a mailbox of its own um And, you know, just make sure it's monitored. But so that that if you're processing those kinds of sort of you've been shared access or you've been granted access via your email address, that it actually works.
2: Right. Okay. that's really interesting. That's a that's a a, a twist that I had not heard of before our conversation. What about, you know, for your these administrative break glass accounts? What about using PIM for them? Even if you're not maybe, you know, you hadn't planned on. You know, getting, you you may have an installation where you have a fairly basic subscription. What are the important, what's the importance of PIM for your your cloud-only admin accounts?
0: Uh, well, I mean, if you're kind of, quote, born in the cloud or you're doing everything in the cloud and you don't have any any sort of legacy infrastructure, then PIM is ad- an absolute must if you don't have any kind of PIM to begin with, the, the like, Azure AD PIM. Um, and I, you know, one of my things with that is you don't necessarily need to cover your entire organization with all of the Azure protections, but at least getting that um, PIM level of protection protection uh, by upgrading Azure AD uh, for those um, admin accounts or break glass accounts, you should be doing that. I mean, at the end of the day, the the more you can um, wrap security around that and get the logging, because p- the biggest part, of, the biggest advantage of PIM all up is that logging of when you were trying to do something. Um, you know, if if I'm trying to do X and my account wasn't active to do X, that automatically throws a bunch of flags in your your logs. Um, that are very uh, clear indication of compromise. So I'm a big fan of you know PIM and and it doesn't necessarily have to be the Microsoft PIM solution, but I I think at this day and age, if you you're an organization that really cares about your security, you should have some level of PIM for your admins.
2: You bring out a very good point, which is I I think that most people, if they look at PIM's capabilities, they go, "Wow, that's really great," but I can't afford. Azure AD Premium P2 for my entire organization. and But what you're saying is you don't necessarily need to right away. You What you need is PIM to protect your administrative accounts, which is a tiny subset uh, of, uh, especially in the Azure AD situation, it's a tiny subset of your whole employee footprint.
0: Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about managing the risk, right? And someone with administrative access to your cloud... <laughs> creates you know both a financial risk of spinning up things that they shouldn't spin up like you know I don't know a, a bitcoin mining operation in your azure subscription <laughs> um not that that's happened oh, oh wait yeah oh, yeah that's a thing um you know you they there's that sort of insider threat that's done that or there's just um you know accidental things and and stuff of that nature so so in my mind the best thing to do is to Manage that higher level of risk or higher level of potential for problems um, w- by using something like like PIM to reduce the risk. And I and I've done the math on this. I wish I knew the uh, looked at the number. But if you just basically look at it in terms of when I do a PIM activation, my account can only be active for four hours at a time. Um, I put myself in a position where uh, uh, the and and. Most likely I only activate, you know, say four hours a day because I'm in meetings and other things I'm not doing administrative access. So netted out, you know, 20 hours twenty hours a week by say 50 weeks in a year, that's the only amount of time I could be compromised. That's a direct, um, there's direct math on that to show that, that that is a huge risk reduction for not a lot of money. I mean, the net of it is that for, for the, you know, small percentage of people in your org that really need it, it's not that much money.
2: Well, thank you very much for your time, Alan. This, is, uh, this has been very informative, and I look forward to chatting with you again.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Duby. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.